Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Kansas City Royals 8, the Cleveland Indians 6. The Royals score five runs in the last three innings of this game to even up this four-game series against the Indians one game apiece. Now, luckily for the Indians, the White Sox also lost to the Pirates last night, and the Minnesota Twins split a doubleheader. So if you're scoreboard watching, the Indians are still tied for first place with the White Sox, with the Minnesota Twins a half game back. All right, how did it all go down? What happened last night? Tristan McKenzie was on the mound for the Indians, but he did not factor in the decision. He went five innings. The loss actually goes to Simber. The win for the Royals does not go to Junis. He got hit around pretty hard. He was the starter for the Royals. The win actually goes to Greg Holland and the save to Barlow. So how'd it go down? What was the action last night? Well, the Indians got things going early. Tristan McKenzie looked good to start the game. He gets Hunter Dozier to strike out swinging on a fastball. The fastball had life last night. The breaking ball had snapped to it. Tristan McKenzie was looking true to form last night. And the Indians support him in the bottom of the first. Mike Freeman doubles on a line drive to center field. You know, I was surprised to see Mike Freeman... I know he's your utility player. I know he has to replace Jose Ramirez for a few days while Jose Ramirez's thumb heals... But they put him in the two-hole in the lineup. They put him in Jose Ramirez's spot. You could have done anything with the lineup last night. It's not like you're going to affect the bottom five offense in the league right now. Like, what, are you going to make it worse? I I mean, I know they don't want to move Lindor and Santana around, but there were there were different things you could do. You could have tried Naquin in the two-hole. You could have tried Josh Naylor in the two-hole. You could have hit the Shields leadoff and moved Cesar Hernandez down to second. Like... There were different things you could have done with this lineup. Bump everybody up one spot. Lindor to two, Santana to three, Reyes to four. You know, but they they seem to be so rigid in this lineup. The catcher hitting eighth, the center fielder hitting ninth. Like, nothing has changed the whole season. And I, I don't understand it. I mean, we've seen Terry Francona mix lineups, you know, constantly throughout a season. I haven't seen a lineup this set since, like, the mid-90s. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit frustrating. But Freeman, of course, comes through last night. He goes two for four with the double. So he has a double to get things going for the Indians. And then two batters later, Carlos, Santa- Carlos Santana, first pitch swinging, takes a fastball and drives it out to the bullpen in center field. So there you go. It actually pays off. We get two runs up. We're up 2 nothing to start the game. We come back in the bottom of the second. This time it's Sandy Leone. First pitch swinging, gets a fastball, drives it out to right center field for a home run. So the power was there last night. This is two of three home runs we're going to hit in the game. So I don't know. I, get, I Things were actually cooking for the Indians offense last night. Now, Tristan McKenzie gets into trouble in the third. He starts the inning with a strikeout of Oliveres and then gives up a double to Nicky Lopez. Now, a lot of the articles you're going to read, a lot of the things the announcers were saying last night, Underwood, Hamilton were both saying it about the Indians' defense, and the defense let them down, and this is supposed to be you know, a top defensive team in baseball, and oh, man, they're really letting down the pitching. Well, there were really two plays. There was this one from Delino to Shields in center field, and there's an error later by Santana, 
that um, created the fielder's choice and led to some runs later in the inning. I don't think the defense really is what lost this game last night. I, I think it was the bullpen, to be honest with you. The bullpen really let us down. So, Nicky Lopez gets a double here because Delano DeShield slips in center field and the ball drops in front of him. Tristan McKenzie then does walk Cam Gallagher. It would be his only walk on the game that he gives up. And then he throws Whit Merrifield a breaking ball inside that Merrifield absolutely destroys to left field. I believe uh, it either hit the concession stand or squirted out through the gates into the street. That's how far Whit Merrifield hit this ball. And uh, it was just Tristan McKenzie missing his location. The call was for down and away, and instead they came waist high and in, and Merrifield is way too good of a hitter to waste a pitch like that. So when you miss your location, watch home runs. Usually behind a home run, you'll see a catcher moving across the strike zone to catch a ball. It's usually a situation of mislocation. So that's what happens here to McKenzie. He gives up the big fly to Merrifield. But it would be the only runs he'd give up on the game. Three runs are the most he's given up on the season so far. That's right. I said that. Three runs is the most he's given up on the season so far. So still doing pretty darn good. It ended up being a pretty good start. It would have been a quality start if he had gone one more inning. But he kind of reached his pitch limit. They're keeping an eye on it. They're trying to keep him under 100 pitches around mid-80s on his pitch count. Which... I get it, and I don't get it. I mean, yeah, he's a young guy. Yeah, he hasn't pitched competitively since 2018. You don't want to wear out his arm. But at the same time, you know, when these guys get called up from the minors, we act like they haven't been pitching before. They haven't been playing before in these other leagues, you know, with the with the pitch counts and keeping them out of high-pressure situations and stuff like that. Um, like I guess in the third inning, McKenzie threw a ton of pitches in this third inning because then he goes on to strike out Alberto Mondesi and Hunter Dozier. So how does he respond to that home run? He strikes the next two guys out. So that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, they were saying he'd thrown a lot of pitches in the inning and he was, maybe they, they would take him out right there to limit the amount of pitches in the inning. I'm sure this guy has had bad innings in the minors, and I'm sure in high school ball and stuff like that. I'm sure he's experienced going a lo- you know, having a long inning. So, I don't know. Sometimes we handle these guys in the majors like they've never had any life experiences in the minors. I find it interesting. So, the Indians actually have McKenzie's back here. Cesar Hernandez singles to lead off the inning. It was a ball that was knocked down by Nicky, uh, deflected by Nicky Lopez out into center field. So he gets past Lopez, who has a good glove. So he's definitely known for his glove. So Cesar Hernandez singles. Freeman strikes out, but Francisco Lindor, not first pitch swinging this time, on a 1-1 pitch, takes an inside fastball and drives it out to right center field for a home run. A seventh home run for Francisco Lindor on the season, and they back up Tristan McKenzie. They say, hey, we got your back. It's okay. You gave up a home run to Whit Merrifield, the best player on the Royals. We got your back. It's now 5-3 to Cleveland. And... That was pretty much all the Cleveland offense would muster. McKenzie would cruise through five innings from there. He gets two, another strikeout in the fourth. And then he gets his last strikeout in the fifth. He gets Cam Gallagher swinging. The fastball seemed really effective for McKenzie last night. And that would be his final line. Five innings pitched. 
three hits, three earned runs, a walk, seven strikeouts, and a home run. And how does it compare to some of his other games? Well, like I said, he gave up more runs than he had in any previous start, but seven strikeouts is the most since his debut with 10 strikeouts, and the one walk was really good to see. They were pulling the ball more off him last night than they had in any previous start. 54.5% of batted balls were pulls. That is definitely the highest of any of his four starts. He was actually getting a lot of ground balls. Ground balls. We talked about how he tended to be a fly ball pitcher in the minors. Well, he seems to be getting a lot of ground balls in his major league starts. So that's good to see. His pitch type was what you would expect, 50% fastball, 30%, 31.5% slider. So it's actually increased the slider usage slightly down on the curve and slightly down on the change, way down from where he started the season, his first two appearances using the changeup. The curveball and the slider continues to increase. And the plate discipline, uh, pretty much in line with what he's been doing all season. He was down on first pitch strikes. He was down to 42.1% first pitch strikes. The two games he's won this year, he's over 70% first pitch strikes. So definitely something for him to concentrate on. And, but his swinging strikes, so his swings and misses, stayed around what he's been doing all season, 13% swinging strikes. So that's good to see. So a pretty good start for Tristan McKenzie here. However, now we get into the bullpen, and this is where things start to get ugly for the Cleveland Indians. It actually starts out okay because James Karinchek comes in to pitch the sixth. And I didn't get to see this inning, uh, and I didn't see it on any of the highlights but James Karinchek actually gets two strikeouts in his return to the mound. Man, it had been some time since we'd seen Karinchek pitch. He strikes out Alberto Montesi swinging. He strikes out Hunter Dozier swinging. And he gets Michael Franco to pop out to second base. So great to see James Karinchek back on the mound. It's not the situation I expected them to use him in. But it's great to see him back on the mound. And I'm sure we will analyze James Karinchek in the coming days. The guy I really want to talk about is Cal Quintrill. So this is the guy that came over in the Clevenger trade, and he's bounced back and forth between starting and relieving so far in his young career. He is only, I believe, 25 years old. So they keep talking about him. They talked about it on the radio broadcast last night about how there's a chance he could be in this competition for the starting rotation come next season. Maybe him and Adam Plutko would go back into competition for the starting rotation. And I just don't see it. I, I don't. I know he said in an interview, I think they interviewed him on local radio on uh, Bull and Fox. I think he said that he'd like to get back to being a starter, but he understands his role as a reliever. I don't see it. I don't see this guy fitting in with this rotation. So um, looking on StackCast, MLB StackCast website, Baseball Savant, uh, they've got the percentile rankings. And... His hard hit percentage, he's in the 57th percentile, so he doesn't get hit too hard. His, boy, we're going to get into some stats here, expected weighted on base percentage. So this is where they take where balls are hit and how things happen and then average them out against what would be expected based on what else has happened around the league. This is one of the more complicated advanced stats you're going to find Expected weighted on base percentage, he's below 50% a percentile ranking in major leagues. Expected ERA, he's below 50%. Expected batting average, he's right below 50%, 49th percentile. 
expected slugging percentage, he's below. His K percentage, this is the one that really concerns me here. He's only in the 56th percentile on K percentage, and his whiff percentage is only 43%. If you want to compare him to another starter, let's compare him to Carlos Carrasco, because I guess Carlos Carrasco is probably the weak link right now in the starting pitching, even though he's not doing too bad. And for him, his K percentage, he's in the 78th percentile for K percentage. And with percentage, he's in the 75th percentile. So how does Cal Contrell compare to Carlos Carrasco as far as strikeouts go and whiff rate goes? Not too well. Um, let's talk a little bit about Cal Contrell's pitch, Quintrell's pitches. So his arsenal is slider, sinker, four-seamer, and changeup. He has thrown a curveball before, but he's not throwing it this season out of the pen. What's really interesting to me here is the batting average against some of these pitches. So the batting average right now against this slider is actually 270. The batting average against his four-seam fastball is 273. And the batting average against his changeup is 500. Now, the, bas- the, the batting average against his sinker, which he throws about the same speed as his fastball, and he's actually been using way more than his fastball this season, the batting average against his sinker is 182. So clearly, his best pitch right now is the sinker. And even the expected batting averages and the expected slugging percentages, it's all way down on that sinker, which means even if you look at what should be happening, what what the project would happen based on where balls are hit and stuff like that, so you take a lot of defense and things out of it and you just look at where the balls are hit, and sinker is definitely his best pitch. Now, what about movement? What about movement on these pitches? Well, his sinker gets 16.3 inches vertical movement, which you would expect. I mean, gravity plays a role in this. Uh, Literally, gravity plays a role in this. So all fastballs tend to sink a little bit because of gravity coming down from the mound too. But it's the inches of horizontal movement he gets on his sinker. He gets 12.9 inches of horizontal movement on his sinker, which move, that moves like a two-seam fastball. It actually breaks back to right-handers away from lefties, uh, similar to the way Aaron Savali's two-seam fastball works. So he calls it a sinker, but to me, that movement says like a two-seam fastball. And his slider gets like no horizontal movement. It gets 3.1 inches of horizontal movement. That's not that good. It gets 36.9 inches of vertical drop. So it moves more like a curveball, which is strange. Carlos Carrasco's slider, to give you a comparison to another starter, his slider this season gets 37.9 inches of vertical movement, but it gets 4.6 inches of horizontal movement. Now, you want to hear a good slider. You want to hear the best slider on the team? That would go to Brad Hand. He gets 44.1 inches of vertical drop, and he gets 14.4 inches of horizontal movement. 14.4 inches of horizontal movement compared to Cal Quintrell, who gets 3.1 inches of horizontal movement. So, I mean, I I don't see it. I don't see this guy breaking through as a starter. If I were him, if I were him, I would focus on what he calls the sinker, and I would work on this slider because the slider has been a decent pitch for him. He gets above average vertical drop on it. He needs to get more horizontal movement on this thing. 
I think if he really worked on these two pitches, he could become probably an effective bullpen guy. But I, I'm, I'm predicting it now on September 9th, 2020. I'm predicting that Cal Quintrell does not become a starter for the Cleveland Indians. So if I were him, I would rework this slider a little bit in the offseason. I would really focus on this sinker because he throws it like 94 miles per hour. With that much horizontal movement, he could become a pretty dominant bullpen guy with that type of movement on a fastball-type pitch. So we'll see what happens with Cal Quintrill moving forward. But what happened in this game? Wow, did I get sidetracked. What happened in this game with Cal Quintrill? Well, Alex Gordon reached on that fielding error that we talked about uh, by Carlos Santana. It was it was a situation where I think Lindor threw one in the dirt and Carlos Santana couldn't come up with it at first base. So Carlos Santana gets credit with the error. Matt Reynolds is then forced out by Quintrill. Uh, it was a chopper back to him. He goes to Lindor at second. And they get Alex Gordon out at second, but Reynolds is safe at first. It was a situation where the ball came so fast to Quintrill that he actually had to hesitate and wait for Lindor to get to second base. So therefore, it was a bad throw. It was a high throw that Lindor had to reach for like a first baseman. So they get the fielder's choice there. Still okay. We still have a two-run lead at this point, don't forget. Oliveris then line drives the center field. For a single, Matt Reynolds goes all the way to third. These Royals guys can run. They're fast on the bases. Nicky Lopez then grounds out the short. This is with one out, so we have a chance to turn a double play and get out of it right here. Nicky Lopez grounds to short, but it's a weak hit ball, and Lopez flies. They get the runner at second, but they can't get Nicky Lopez at first, and Reynolds comes in to score. Four to five, Royals down one now. Then Cam Gallagher, the next batter up. He smokes a double into the left field corner off one of these sliders that uh, he was trying to throw inside. He was trying to throw the slider inside to Cam Gallagher, and it just, I'm telling you, it breaks like a curveball, and Gallagher stayed on it and drove it into left field, and Lopez flies around the bases, comes all the way in to score, and they tie the game up. Whit Merrifield would pop up to end the threat, so... Uh, yeah, it's a situation where Cal Quintrill got into trouble. He was fighting, he was fighting, he was fighting, but he ends up giving up two runs on the inning. Alomar let him stay in and finish the inning. So there we go. We see Sandy Alomar does not uh, come rescue guys. They have to rescue themselves. We don't do anything up to bat in the bottom of the seventh. Go to the top of the eighth. Adam Simber comes in. And I, you know, say, here's what I'm thinking. Why? Why is he using the B-level guys on this and on this pitching staff in this bullpen when he's got a two-run lead? Why is he going to the Cal Quintrills and the Adam Simbers of the world? I know that Brad Hand had gone three days in a row. I'm pretty sure Wickren had gone two or three days in a row as well. But I just... I mean, he could have gone to Oliver Perez at something. He goes to him later once the game's out of hand, but why not start the inning with Oliver Perez? I don't see Simber as one of your lockdown bullpen pitchers. He, I haven't done the deep dive on Simber yet, but it feels like he's probably the worst relief pitcher on this pitching staff right now, just from perception. And he, he did not do well last night. So Alberto Mondesi singles to start the inning and then immediately steals second base because that dude is lightning on the base paths. Hunter Dozier then singles, and Mondesi has to stop at third. It was a it was a single out to left field, a two-hop Josh Naylor, and Mondesi had to hold at third. 
And then Michael Franco hits a sack fly to center field to Delano to Shields. Alberto Montesi comes in to score six to five. So first three batters that Simber faces, he all gives up hard contact to all of them. This time, Sandy Elamar says, no way, you're out of the game. That's your three batters. Go have a seat on the bench. Brings in Oliver Perez. Things don't go better. Alex Gordon singles. Uh, Hunter Dozier goes all the way to third. Ryan McBroom pinch hits and walks, so now we got the bases loaded. He does get Edward Olivares to strike out swinging, but then Nicky Lopez is actually hit by the pitch. Nicky Lopez is one of these guys that wears that front arm elbow pad, and these guys don't flinch. They don't move. If you're throwing a ball at them inside like that, they leave their elbow out there, and they'll take the hit by the pitch, especially with the bases loaded, because it brings in Hunter Dozier. It makes it 7-5 to five Royals. So, I mean, we gave him that one. We just straight up, Oliver Perez gave him that one. And I know Perez was battling, but it seemed like a lot of his pitches were inside. Plucko comes in to replace him, gets Cam Gallagher to strike out swinging with the bases loaded still, so it could have been worse. And now it's 7-5. Bottom of the eighth, meet of the Indians order, line out, strike out, and ground out. We do nothing. Freeman, Lindor, Santana. Then in the top of the ninth, Plucko stays in there because at this point, we're not using any more arms. Plucko gives up a double to Whit Merrifield. Mondesi sack bunts and moves Merrifield over to third. Hunter Dozier pops out to short, so we have a chance to get out of it. But Michael Franco singles up the middle, shoots one right past Plucko on the mound, and Merrifield comes in to score. So now it's 8-5 to five Royals. We do put together a little bit of a rally in the ninth. Vermeil Reyes strikes out swinging. Guess what? He chased a breaking ball down and away. Uh, that's something we're going to have to talk about one day because I know that Fermil Reyes likes outside pitches because he can go to right field with them. But, man, does he chase down and away a lot of breaking balls. Tyler Naquin is able to single to right field to get things going in the ninth inning. Josh Naylor singles on another ground ball to right field. He shoots one through, moves Naquin all the way over to third. The tying run comes to the plate. Sandy Leone becomes the tying run in this game. He... Already had a home run on the game, and I'm sitting here thinking we have nobody to pinch hit for him. We uh, we have Mercado on the bench. We have Luplo. They're both righties against a righty pitcher. I just don't see the Indians doing that, putting a righty-righty matchup up there. They're going to leave Sandy Leone in this situation. We, we have the tying run at the plate, and we've got our eight and nine hitters up, and it just... Man, it just didn't feel like the momentum was there for us. Leon is able to ground the ball to first base. He actually hops it over Hunter Dozier's glove. But Whit Merrifield was backing him up and is able to get Sandy Leon at first base. The run does come in to score. Naylor goes to second. It's 8-6, to six, so we do scratch across a run here in the ninth. So Delina to Shields is up, and he is still the tying run here. But he goes down swinging, strikes out to end the game, and it looked bad. Like, he was talking to himself in between pitches. He was mad at himself for chasing. He took his helmet off and was looking around. He looked like me when, I was trying, when I'm trying to fix something around the house. Stopping around, talking to myself, trying to figure out what is going wrong. That's what the line of shields was trying to figure out last night. What was going wrong? And turns out what was going wrong is he was chasing pitches in the dirt, and he strikes out to end the game. Man, it just felt like from that seventh inning on, all the momentum last night went to the Kansas City Royals. We've talked about this before, the, uh, the leverage indexes, the win 
probability graphs on fan graphs. And it was in the Indians' favor all night. All night until that camp. Even after that Cam Gallagher double, it was still in the Indians' favor. But as soon as Alberto Montesi singled to keep that rally going, it immediately fell to the Royals' favor. These are those graphs you've seen on uh, on fan graphs where it, it's basically a line in the middle, the 50%, the middle of the graph is split. Anything above the middle, is the game is in the Indians' favor. The win probability is in the Indians' favor. Anything below the middle, the win probability is in the Royals' favor. And even after the Royals tied that game up, the win probability was still in the Indians' favor. When Mitt, Whit Merrifield flies out to shortstop, the win probability is still 59.6% in the Indians' favor. Maybe it's because we're the home team. Maybe it's because we're the better team. But we they still projected the Indians to win this game. But as soon as Alberto Montesi singles, all of a sudden the game becomes in the Royals' favor. As soon as Michael Franco hit that sack fly, it's over for the Indians. There's just it, The line buries for the Royals. The Indians never really, they get it. Maybe on Josh Engler-Singer, they get the line to move a little bit in their favor, but that line is in favor of the Royals because all the momentum was in favor of the Royals. You just felt after that seventh inning that the Indians had no chance of coming back. All the momentum was in the Royals' favor last night, and they win the game. That's it. That's how it's done. So the Indians are still tied for first place. They still have a chance to win this series and keep their streak of series wins going. But, man, it really got... What started so promising last night with Tristan McKenzie and the three home runs just turned ugly for the Indians. Everybody was hitting last night. Multi-game, multi-hit games from Freeman uh, from and from Sandy Leone, of all people. Uh, two RBIs to Lindor, two RBIs to Santana, two RBIs to Leone. But... MVP for the day has to go to Tristan McKenzie. Five innings pitched, so not the deepest he's gone into a game. Three hits, three earned runs, the walk, and seven strikeouts. It did give up the big three-run home run, but he bounced back from that, got two big strikeouts, and pitched great for the next two innings. So Tristan McKenzie gets my MVP for a day. All right, what's coming up tomorrow? Carlos Carrasco is on the mound against Danny Duffy, the left-hander, so expect those righties to be in the lineup. I'm guessing Mercado, and I'm guessing Lupolo will be back out there tonight for the Indians. Carrasco, we need him. We need the veteran tonight to shut down the Royals after a loss. We got to win this series. We got to keep this thing going because, man, September, it's already football season. September is going to be over before you know it. We are going to be looking at the playoffs, and I want to be one of those division winners when the playoffs start. I I know it's not as important this season, but I think it would be really good for the Indians to take back the Central Division and still make the White Sox and the, and the uh, Twins go through the Indians in this playoffs. So we'll see. It's a 6-10 start tonight. So we will see what Carlos Carrasco can do to get the Indians back on track. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive on Cal Quintrill. Again, the final from Cleveland last night. It's the Royals 8, the Indians 6. 
We'll be back tomorrow for Carlos Carrasco. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. If you're frustrated about Mike Freeman, if you're one of these Nolan Jones guys, call up or girls, call up Nolan Jones. Let me see him. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Email me. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show, and we'll play them back on air. Respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>